0: One of the most powerful statements that we can make is the I am statement and what follows that. So just be careful and be deliberate or intentional with the words that you're using and the language that you're using, especially when you're talking about yourself, because it can literally keep you stuck, can be very limiting or it can be expansive and it can bring you to new levels and new heights and new possibilities that you didn't believe were possible for yourself based off of this way of thinking that may or may not have even been yours to begin with. You may have inherited it through your parents, through your environment. How many of those beliefs are disempowering? I just have been really focused on being intentional with my beliefs and the language that I'm using. using.
1: That's Nehemiah Delgado, and this is The Proof Podcast. Hey, friends. Welcome back. It's a pleasure to be here with you in this new year. Happy new year. I hope that you've been keeping well and are enjoying the holiday period. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. It's great to have you join us. I'm Simon Hill, your show host, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. Today's guest is my friend, Nimai Delgado, returning for his fourth time on the show, Another episode where we really had no set direction, just a a very casual conversation about what he's been up to, insight into a few of his business ventures, training advice, his upcoming eight week plant power challenge that he's running and a bunch more. We recorded this one about a month ago when I was in Los Angeles. Please do enjoy and I'll catch you on the other side. in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to TheProof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's TheProof.com forward slash friends. Nimai Delgado, welcome back. What's up Simon? What's this, number three or four? I lost count. I think three. Or no, this might be four. First one was back in 2018. That was the the one that we did in the Jeep. Yeah, and then we've done it. We've done a few since then, and uh, it's been fun hanging out with you as always. We were chatting the other night at dinner, and and thought the conversation we had would have been <laughs> <laughs> should have had a record uh, button on. Uh, that yeah, one. yeah, we were joking around. We should have recorded that one, and would have been uh, an interesting conversation for people to to hear and listen in. So. I thought it'd be cool to get you back on. A lot's changed since we last spoke, both in the world and in your life. So here we are. What's
0: happening? A lot's happening. (laughs) What isn't happening? Well,
1: firstly, did you get your workout in today at Gold's? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Is Um, that a daily ritual? It's a non-negotiable.
0: Non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. Some type of movement is always a non-negotiable for me, even if it's light, even if it's just getting outside for a walk, even if it's going for a skate or if it's going to work out for an hour and a half at Gold's. You like to get
1: in there kind of mid-morning.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like that is a result of some fine-tuning that's happened over my life because I used to be an afternoon lifter. So whenever I worked in corporate, that was the only time slot that i could make it work for my schedule i've never understood afternoon lift is i
1: have to get it in before <laughs> midday or it's it's a terrible workout it is it's different
0: it's different <laughs> i don't know how i did it whenever i was working as an engineer cuz i would work until i had to my hours were from 6:30 to 4:30 i'd get home around 5 and then i would shovel some food in my mouth so i'd be ready or fueled for the training session that i would do normally from six to seven and then eat and then go to bed and then do it all over again. Now I wake up about 5.30. Lately, I've been waking up earlier for just naturally. I don't know what's going on with me. I'm getting older. I feel like I'm just sleeping less and I'll get to the gym. I'll do all my work. I'll get to the gym for about nine o'clock. And I feel like that is when I'm at my peak energy levels and i've already done a majority of my work i've done my morning routine most of my business partners are in the uk or the east coast so that lends itself nicely to have early morning phone calls and then i'll just train for about an hour and a half and i feel great i got the rest of the day to get more work done or just spend it how i please which is which is really nice
1: yeah i like to train in the mornings i guess it it comes down to your routine i think if i if i was to persist enough, I could make the afternoons work, but it would need to become something I committed to every day to kind of get the body to acclimatize to it. Uh, Workout-wise, what's that look like these days in terms of, because obviously you're not competing anymore as a professional bodybuilder, so I'm assuming that you have slightly different goals and intent when you're in there?
0: Yeah, as I've evolved my training practices have also evolved and even my philosophy around training has evolved as well because I'm no longer trying to put on and sustain as much muscle mass as possible. And I've already done much of the heavy lifting, no pun intended, to to put on the muscle, right? So it's much easier to sustain muscle once you've actually built it first. And now I'm much more of a I'll I'll push myself as hard as I can in the gym, but whatever that day looks like, I don't have this ultimate goal of stepping on stage or maintaining a certain body weight. I'm much more focused on feeling good rather than looking good. And as a result of that, naturally, I like the way that I look even more now than whenever I was competing and was probably 10 pounds heavier and had majority of that being muscle. But it was a lot of work to sustain that amount of muscle mass, both
1: inside the gym and outside the gym. So from a like if we were to kind of break this down to give people a bit of insight, a little more granular into how you how do you split your training and clearly weightlifting doesn't have to be overcomplicated, but often it is. What do you think are the sort of foundations, basics of of a program that essentially are most responsible for a program leading to In this instance, we're talking about either maintaining or building
0: muscle. The fundamentals always boils down to the fundamentals. They're classic movements, you know, the five compound lifts, the bench press, the squat, the deadlift, the overhead press, the bent over row. Those are gonna give you the most bang for your buck when it comes to energy. Um, and, and return on investment, I would, I would say it's going to take the most energy to perform those movements, but the return on investment, meaning the results that you'll see, if you just focus on those five, you'll probably see quite a bit of noticeable results. So I incorporate those into my training session, regardless, those are also my non-negotiables throughout the week. So the five major compound lifts, you have bench press squats, you have deadlifts, overhead press. And then bent over
1: rows and do you kind of uh mix these up between machines and barbells and dumbbells or what does that look like
0: yeah i always cycle through using barbell dumbbell and machines i i'm a sucker for trying out new machines just because i have a uh, curiosity and a level of respect for the design that goes into the mechanics of of workout equipment. So I love trying them out and really feeling the angle, the difference, the way it's activating certain muscle groups differently, even if it's a slightly different squeeze or a range of motion. <laughs> my my physiotherapy
1: degree, we did biomechanics. So I'm the same. I'm, I, I walked into a new gym. Well, New gym for me, because we're actually downtown LA now. I don't usually stay around here. There's a gym around here called, I want to say it's called John
0: Reed. Yeah, I've trained there. Have you trained there? It's like a
1: nightclub. Yeah, they've got a DJ booth in in the middle of the gym. It's the most unique gym that I've ever been into, but I saw some photos online and I could tell that they had some seriously good equipment. And I got there and I was definitely not let down. It was all the kind of German equipment and there's like, you know, 15 different chess machines and all different angles. And yeah, it's, it can be a bit of fun when you jump into a new gym like that. Yeah, so
0: true story. I think that the company that owns John Reed, maybe an existing company that started in Europe. I don't know. I may be yeah. botching this up, but they bought Gold's. Oh, really? Yeah, so they're now the owner of Gold's Gym. Including and, Venice. Including Venice. So they brought a lot of the Gym 80 equipment into Gold's after, after COVID. I think the... The purchase happened sometime during 2020 or during COVID, so they brought in all these new equipment and they're extremely well designed. Is that the outside out the back? Is that what that is?
1: The green, yeah, sort of green equipment, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas it, John Reed, it's like black, but it's all gym eighty, yeah, yeah. It's quality stuff, yeah. Okay, cool. So keep going on this program. So you got these five um, lifts, and you swap between dumbbells and barbells and machines. How do you kind of split up the, the sessions over a week and then within those sessions, are you starting with these compound movements? Are you finishing with them? How does that kind of look? Yeah, normally the way I'll
0: structure a workout is you always want to start with what you can maximize first. So when your nervous system is at its most fresh, right, you start with those lifts because you can produce or you can lift the most amount of volume. And volume is... What's imperative when it when it comes to building muscle? It's the most important factor. So I try to do those first and foremost in the as the first exercise after warming up, doing a couple warm-up sets. That'll be first. And then I'll go into more of the ancillary movements that are more isolated, more singular, more focused on a specific type of movement rather than a prime mover, if that makes sense. Just because I like to get those out of the way and then I can focus on the detail. And as your workout continues, if you're training for 45 minutes, your nervous system is going to be going to become more taxed. You're not going to be able to fire as much muscle um, fibers as you could at the beginning of the workout. So you really want to maximize what you do initially. So if you can remember that whenever you enter the gym, just start with the heavy hitters after doing proper warm up. And as always, I'll always preface any of these conversations with form is king always execute proper form, master the repetition, whatever that looks like. I'm still into my Tenth year of training. Do you leave the ego at the door? Yeah. Your ego, ego is not your amigo. <laughs> I always like to remember that. <laughs> so
1: it gets easier to do that as you get older.
0: Because you start working smarter and not harder. And you and this is And you don't want to get injured. No, and this is this is something that I've always been a fan of is, is or kept in mind is longevity. And I want to be able to last in this sport. I want my body to be able to last. I want to feel good as I continue to age or even feel better as I continue to age. I mean, each day for me feels like I'm peaking. So I haven't felt that decline yet. And part of that comes with training smarter. So knowing when to rest, knowing when to dial it back, knowing when to, how to structure a workout, knowing what to eat, knowing how much to sleep, all of these things come with experience. So as I've gotten older, I've become more intuitive with these, but fundamentally all of those things are very important, especially at the beginning of your, let's say your your exercise Endeavor or your journey, because if you can learn how to master one rep and apply that to every single movement, then you will be much more efficient at building muscle, at protecting yourself from any type of future injury, because you've already built the neural pathways that will fire in the correct order whenever you start to engage these more compound movements or these more complex movements. So these are just little tips that I've picked up along the way and they've helped me sustain this intensity for as long as I have. So let's let's break down
1: a, a couple of those points. I'm interested in how you choose a weight, you know, for any of these lifts. So you've mentioned that form is important. You've also mentioned uh, longevity and recovery. So I'm assuming you're choosing a weight where You know, it's it's not a a four or six rep kind of set. You're you're probably somewhere between forty to eighty percent or or less percent of your one rep max, and you're able to do eight to twelve reps where you're less likely to get injured. Is that is that where most of your work would be?
0: Yeah, probably in the seventy to eighty percent of my one rep max. And that just goes across the board and that's where I like to stay because when I find myself deviating from that and just training less, I don't feel the satisfaction after I train. I can come out of the gym and just ask myself, oh, I don't even feel like I trained today.
1: And you, you have to also do a lot more reps yeah. if you, if you drop that percent down a lot.
0: Yeah, uh, to, to increase the volume, right? At the end of the day, the volume is what your most um, important number is, is how much total weight volume, which means that's a multiple of the selected weight times the number of repetitions that you do with that weight. So if you drop the weight, then you'd obviously have to do more repetitions to match the volume as if you were to select higher weight and less reps.
1: What about how sort of fatigued you are? Like, how do you finish with a few reps in the sort of bag or are you going all the way to failure? How, what does that look
0: like? Yeah, I never go to failure. I, I always try to approach it. It's this bar that keeps getting pushed further and further in my mind. So if you can imagine selecting a weight that you try out. Say you're you're about to do bench press for example with dumbbells and you select a weight that you think you can do 10 times pretty easily. So you do a warm up, get a feel for how that, you know, sits on you and how you can how you can move it, how easily the weight goes up. And then you do your first working set based off of that number. So you can estimate and go 20% higher, 30% higher, whatever that number looks like. But the goal for me is to get around 10 to 12 reps. So once I start approaching the 10th rep, I should, oh, I, well, I do tend to stop and leave at least two left in the gas tank. So that's kind of, I work backwards from there. It's like, if I can do 10, I might be able to get two more by myself without a spot. And that's my my signpost to either stay there and do another rep of, or another set of that, or if I want to increase it and see if I can get roughly 10 again. So that way you're constantly pushing that bar a little bit further, but you're not fully exhausting yourself because there is some science that shows if you go to exhaustion whenever you train, it's not as effective as if you were to leave some in the gas tank, so to speak. Yeah.
1: It's almost counterintuitive. I read a, a review. I think it was Brad Schoenfield and Eric Helms who do a lot of the writing in this space. And they were writing about exactly that, about how particularly as you get older with your training, you want to be going to complete failure much less, which is – it's an interesting reminder because you can get in there and and, and think – you know, taking it to failure all the time is going to result in, in a greater stimulus to promote more growth, but it's not how it actually
0: works. What about supersets? Do you ever, do you ever do that? Yeah. I incorporate all kind of different training variables. Whenever I train supersets are great. Um, I did those a lot more whenever I was bodybuilding because I was really chasing a pump. So supersets for those that are curious is when you do back-to-back exercises without any rest in between. And that can lead to fatigue earlier because you're not allowing your body to rest and actually prepare itself for its next set. So this is why rest time is an important factor whenever you're training as well. So if you want to lift the most volume, you actually want to give yourself a couple minutes in between your sets. And whenever you take that away, then your endurance will go up, but you won't be able to lift as much as if you were to actually have a rest time in between workouts. So now that I'm a little bit older and those, those techniques are really good for creating a pump for hypertrophy to, to really get that bodybuilder look. But for me now, I'm, I'm less concerned about that and just more worried about maintaining what I currently have, the muscle that I currently have. So I do a little bit less supersets than what I used to. Yeah,
1: that's where I find machines can be helpful for, for doing that superset. You mentioned form earlier. So if you've done your first uh, set with bar, like dumbbells or a barbell, and you're tired, then doing the superset in the machine where it's a little more controlled can be a good strategy
0: that I've found anyway. Mm-hmm. And just to switch things up, I mean I am a fan of finding workouts that you actually enjoy doing. That if you're sick like me and you like punishing yourself in the gym, I like to find new ways of punishing myself. So trying different machines, different variations, different cables, different attachments, different angles, all of these come with just trial and error. And you find which one works for you and you find which ones actually enjoy that you enjoy and that produce the most results because it results are a tricky thing too, because most people tend to gauge an effective workout based on how sore they are the next day. But that also changes the more experience you get with training. So just because you wake up and you're had a, you not as sore as you were whenever you first started training, it doesn't mean that your training session was ineffective. Mm-hmm. So finding new ways to get sore becomes harder with the more experience that so you have. So what's the best way in that case for someone who
1: is perhaps really wanting to increase muscle mass, increase their strength, what, what, what's the best ways for them to keep an eye on that and measure that more objectively?
0: Log your workouts. Mm-hmm. Number one thing I can tell you is just log your workouts. Have the data to reflect back on you. I'm sure you could appreciate this. Is just If you don't know how much you're lifting workout after workout, then you're going to eventually spin your wheels. So it's really important to measure and track how much you're lifting, for how many reps, even make notes on your workout journal. They have apps for this now that you can do this. Do you still do this or you've kind of let go of that? Or you... I, I did it for some time. I still have a workout logger that I use just because I'm curious to see how my strength is maintaining over the years that I, since I stopped bodybuilding. Is that mainly for the compound lifts? For everything. I'll track everything just because I can reflect back on it. I can see what I was doing months ago. And the best way to 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 see whether or not you're gaining strength is by how much you're lifting. So if you can only do 100 pounds for 10 reps a couple months ago, and now you're doing that same exercise, your goal should be to do 100 pounds either for more reps or more weight for 10 reps. And it holds you accountable as well
1: Yeah, to keep progressing.
0: Yeah. You don't know what you don't know if you don't track it.
1: Speaking of volume, something that's critical here and I think some folks will be interested in learning more about is across a week, if hypertrophy is your goal, if you want to build muscle, build strength, how many sets should you
0: be aiming to achieve per body group? Yeah. So it depends. (laughs) Short answer. I have... There's, there's lots of information on this topic that is distributed amongst different types of resources. I remember when I was studying strength training, there was a book called The Essentials of Strength and Conditioning. It's a textbook that is part of some larger curriculum for exercise science. And I have this book in my library and I reference it all the time. But it is difficult to find one consolidated table or resource that has these these benchmarks for volume, but I was able to find one on Reddit of all places. And it was somebody, uh, it was a guy called Dr. Mike Isretel. Are you familiar with him? Yeah. He's, he's like well-known in kind of uh, exercise fizz. Yeah. So he put out a series, a blog series talking about training volume. And I have saved this has one of my bookmarks whenever I was studying and I still reference it occasionally to this day. And I think it would be a great resource for your for your listeners as well. But just to kind of give you a, a high level breakdown of what that looks like. So there's a few considerations. So there's maintenance volume, which is how much volume you need to maintain your gains. There's also a minimum effective volume, which is what's the least amount of volume needed to make gains. There's a maximum adaptive volume which is the range of volume that will give you your your best gains but it's at the upper level so if you exceed that then it's not necessarily going to translate into more growth so to give you an idea something like back which is a large muscle group the minimum volume which is the minimum number of reps would be eight sets per week. So your back is a large muscle group. That's really easy to do. You could do two exercises, eight sets pretty easily. The minimum effective volume would be 10 sets. So this is at the baseline of that range. If you're a new lifter, you you want to hit this at least 10 sets on your back. So you're getting
1: some uh improvements in terms of probably strength and some hypertrophy mm-hmm. but it's minimum effective dose so it's not the difference being that above that is more towards optimal yes
0: yes exactly so the 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 maximum adaptive volume which is the sweet spot which is where you want to stay it's going to be different for everybody based off of how experienced you are in in weight training but for back it goes to about 14 to 22 sets per week. So you can distribute that in a couple workouts. You can do it in a frequency of, of two to four times per week, but really you don't want to go above 25 sets per week for your back because you're not going to notice any significant changes. It might actually be counterproductive and you might not be able to recover quick enough to for your next training session. So that table breaks it down per body group. Per body group, which there's, it's different per body group, because depending on the size, depending on how your muscles are incorporated into other training pro, or other body part days or other movements, essentially. So if you were to do an upper lower split, for example, you're going to be training your upper body at a frequency that's different if you were to be doing a body part split. Yeah. So I guess depending on
1: where your priorities are, what priority sort of body parts you can then go and formulate a program around that to, to reach some of these goals. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And some, some muscle groups you want to be particularly mindful of, such as like your front delts, for example, because you use a lot of your front delts whenever you do chest movements, you do pressing movements. So if if you are front delt dominant, which some people are whenever they're training, they might be training your delts more than your chest. So the next time whenever you do a shoulder day, you might want to dial it back on maybe not training your front delts. Maybe you could do your your lateral or your, your rear delts. Or instead. do your calves. Everyone can
1: benefit from doing calves. Yeah. That's what I need to be mindful about. More calves. More calves. I think <laughs>
0: I would tend to agree with you on that one. Not not you, but me <laughs> for me. <laughs> the gods have blessed me with good Bicep genetics, and, and just completely forgot about my calves. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, you mentioned uh, nutrition and sleep and uh, recovery. Keen to kind of pick your brain on a few of these and get your thoughts, or at least understand how you approach them. What is what does nutrition look like for you these days?
0: It's pretty intuitive. I, I feel like the early years of me learning how to design my nutrition around my fitness goals really set me up for success later on in life where I am now, because I I go back and I, I coach many people online. And the first practice that I help them implement in my coaching programs is to track what they're eating. And most people aren't, and you'll most likely agree with this, they aren't educated in nutrition. We, we grow up adopting, we, we, we inherit the eating habits of our household or our community without really understanding what nutrients the foods that we're eating contain. So a really great practice for somebody that wants to just be aware of their eating habits and what nutrition it comes along with their food is just by tracking. You don't even have to change anything. Just see for yourself. Just log everything that you're eating into a meal logger. You can use something like Chronometer or My Fitness Pal, And this will actually give you a much clearer picture as to how many calories you're eating on average on a daily basis or a weekly basis, how many grams of protein you're consuming on a daily basis. Same with fats, carbs, fiber, all of these really important nutrients. And you can actually start to see, okay, this is where the gaps are. This is where I need to make slight adjustments. So you don't even need a nutritional coach for that. You can literally determine your maintenance needs or your your caloric needs based off of your fitness goal, and then just roughly change small things here and there. So that I did for three or four years whenever I first went plant-based and started competing because those two happened in sync with one another. And that really set me up for what I'm doing now because I'm still eating more or less the same types of foods that what I was eating years ago. But now I'm just much more flexible with it. I'm much more intuitive with the portion sizes that I'm eating. I found a really healthy balance between training, eating, recovering, also allowing myself to indulge whenever I- What restaurants? Oh man, LA is dangerous. What are are your tips if someone's visiting LA? What are like your must go tos? All right, so I got a list here. So let's do Pura Vida first, which I took you there the other day. There's one in West Hollywood, and there's another one down in Redondo Beach by me. Then there's Double Zero. This is a pizza joint that's in Venice. I love it. There's Cafe Gratitude, which you and I have visited many, many times. There's another vegan sushi place called Shojin. It's top-notch. It's like fine dining, a little bit more expensive, but the sushi, vegan sushi is phenomenal. So those would be the starting points that I always recommend people to, to at least visit or try if you're coming to LA because they have all kind of different delicious plant-based options. And I've traveled many places in the world and I always seem to be let down after leaving LA because they're just so on top of it. They're so progressive with the with the menus here. Sages is pretty good yeah. as well. That's yeah. another one
1: we've been to. Okay, cool. So your, your approach with food at the moment is more intuitive, but because you have that experience, having logged a lot of food, you can now look at your food and get a good idea as to what nutrients it contains and and whether you're ticking those kind of high level boxes off like calories and protein, for example. Yeah.
0: And, and I just want to revisit that just briefly because the lesson out of all of that was the habits that were formed whenever I was tracking so much. And the awareness that i had around what i was consuming and and selecting and being conscious with the choices that i was making with my food and now my body just craves those foods naturally because i've trained my my, my purchasing habits. So whenever I'm in the grocery store, I still buy all those same staples and keep my pantry stocked with those. My recipes have been mastered. I can whip those up really easily. So if you really look at if, especially if you're cooking at at home, we normally eat the same dishes more or less with slight modifications. So I just made those meals for me healthy. So those staples for me are always consistent and they're always healthy. So I'll have my smoothie, my morning smoothie, which has fruit and protein and plant milk and chia seeds and some other powders in there just to boost up the antioxidant content. That powder that you brought here. Yeah, that one's a new one. What's that? Is, that the, is it coffee? So it's got coffee in it. He's, he's pointing to the, the veg plant protein. So this is a, a brand new flavor that we came out with this month. And the story behind this, I'll get into it in a second, but it's called the cold brew latte flavor. So it has real coffee in the protein powder and one scoop of this protein powder has 25 grams of protein and the equivalent amount of caffeine as one cup of coffee. So if you want to switch up your morning shape, for something that has caffeine, this is a great solution for that. And the idea from this actually stemmed from whenever I was bodybuilding. And coffee was a great solution for me to help with appetite suppressant. It was also a treat for me to have something else other than water. But the challenge was I didn't enjoy black coffee and I didn't want to put all of the sweeteners, the the sweet and lows or all the ones that were found in my office. So what I would do is I'd bring a protein powder to work with me and I would use that. I would put it in my coffee and mix it up and use that as a creamer because the protein powder had some sweetener in it. And I thought, why not come out with something like that as a, as a product? Because there wasn't really anything like that on the market whenever I was searching for one. And this is a, a great alternative for your morning coffee because most people go to Starbucks, they'll get a latte it comes with vanilla syrup comes with uh, 800 calories calories and also (laughs) 25 grams of sugar so i thought why not have an alternative product for that that has 25 grams of protein so you're kind of take checking those two boxes off yeah those starbucks coffees are dangerous
1: yeah Yeah. Uh, if you've tuned in to the many episodes i've done focusing on cardiovascular disease the leading cause of death globally to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetrackercom forward slash Simon. That's insidetrackercom forward slash Simon. I want to talk about veg and the business side of things in a minute and sort of understand what that process has been like for you coming from uh, an engineer background and, and, and now running your own businesses. But just to, to kind of finish off on the nutrition side of things from your end, do you focus at all on prioritizing protein at all these days? And what are the the sort of major plant-based sources of protein in your diet? And the second question I have that I think people will find interesting is, and this may be more specific to when you were bodybuilding, how important do you think it is to separate meals out over the course of the day as opposed to say having one or two meals?
0: So whenever I was bodybuilding, I did separate out my meals and distributed them equally throughout the day. And each one of my meals had roughly 20 to 30 grams of protein within them. So protein was a priority whenever you're trying to build muscle. And especially whenever you are in a caloric deficit and you are training to look a certain way or get to single digit body fat and step on a stage on a certain date. So you really want to be accurate with how with how you calculate that. These days, I still prioritize protein because I train. I'm, I'm an athlete. I have high caloric demands. I have high nutritional demands because on any given day, I'll train for an hour and a half. I'll do cardio for 30 minutes. Uh, I'll go on a hike. I'll go skate. It's always been my goal to, to remain athletic. I never wanted to be one of those dump trucks of a guy that just are just super stocky and, but very rigid and don't have the mobility or the functionality of an athlete. Cause I always wanted to remain athletic and have that just in just cause it feels good for me. I, I always would prefer to remain agile and mobile because I'm, I'm, I'm sporty. I like to do sports. So that was always, a, that was always a priority for me and still is to this day. So protein is a critical component of that. So my meals that I have, I'll, I'll have my protein powder, which covers 25 grams at least per day, just from my protein shake. And then I'll just incorporate higher protein foods. So you're talking about your, your sprouted vegetables, your tempeh, your tofu, I'll, your legumes, lentils. I'll incorporate these in different forms into my Buddha bowls, my burritos, my pastas, my oatmeal, you know, I'll I'll just find creative ways how to integrate the higher protein plant-based sources into every meal. And I even posted a recipe the other day of an oatmeal bowl that had, I think it was 50 grams of protein unintentionally. Did you call that protes? Protes, yeah. Oatmeal, Plus protein, proteins, oatmeal, prot and so it, oatmeal in itself has has protein, and then you add some things like chia seeds, flax seeds. Do you cook it or soak it overnight, or I was cooking those. Yeah, I was cooking those, and then you know collectively, once you add all of those ingredients, even if they're subtle, I even added hemp seeds. It adds up, and most people may be thinking, yeah, but those also may contain some fats, but realistically, if you're getting those healthy sources of fat, you don't have to concern yourself as much as if you were adding refined oil into your recipes. It's a different story. So you can add those healthier sources and not concern yourself so much with the amount of carbs and the fats because once you hit if you if you focus on adding just the higher protein plant sources into your recipes, you'll naturally probably exceed the amount of protein that you need, at least for, th- for the average individual and, and also in cases for athletes. So for me, I aim for about 150 grams per day. And oftentimes, I'll exceed it unintentionally.
1: Yeah, that's similar. That's probably where I would land as well. Talk to me about supplements. So on top of all of that, what, what are the kind of daily supplements that you would take personally? So...
0: <laughs> this is this is a fun question cuz this was what launched me on this path of founding and starting my own supplement company was because what I was constantly pulling products from this company and that company and it was this hodgepodge collection of different supplements that may or may not have been from fully vegan companies meaning some companies formulate products with the intention to fill a gap not necessarily through the lens of what are the needs of a plant-based athlete. So if it checks the box, they can slap a label on it, say it's vegan, and then put it to market. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's intentionally formulated for plant-based athletes. So whenever I first started Veg, I was looking at the supplements that I wish I had whenever I was bodybuilding and how do we create and formulate supplements through that lens. That way, For example, the protein powder, I wanted it to be organic. I didn't want any protein that I was consuming to be non-organic. I wanted everything to be tested by a third party, which included heavy metals, which included pesticides, which includes glyphosate, which includes the microbial content, the mold content. Anything that I wouldn't want in my body, I would want to test to make sure that the quality of the Supplement that I'm consuming on a daily basis doesn't have any of those because it is the frequency in which you consume those that ends up accumulating and becoming toxic over time. For example, I'm sure you're familiar with this study that reviewed plant based proteins a while back and saw that many of the top or most popular plant based protein brands were the worst offenders when it came to levels of arsenic, cadmium, lead, things that are naturally found in soil. And because these are plant based, proteins that are grown from soil, some of those will end up in the powder that you're consuming, which can then have an effect on your thyroid, your metabolism, and you don't want that. So we make sure that we test everything there. And then the second part was the profile. So the plant-based protein that we formulated made sure that we were exceeding that three grams per leucine threshold that really helps maximize muscle protein synthesis, which is important if you're a plant-based athlete, because if you're not intentionally introducing or including foods that are higher in leucine, you may not be maximizing your muscle protein synthesis. I think
1: that's an important point for people. And they've probably heard it on this show here and there. But what Nimai is saying is plant protein can be just as anabolic as animal protein as long as it hits what's called a leucine threshold. And when you're buying a plant protein, that's one of the important things that you want to see, that it is not only providing enough total protein, 25 grams or so, but also hitting that three gram leucine threshold.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's important. Because I mean, not many brands that I saw were including that. And you can go do your research and try to calculate the amino acid profile of those proteins, but that's a lot of work and I, I didn't want to do that. So I just wanted to, it's a its a standard that we have all of our formulas with. And if you're a plant-based athlete, you don't have to concern yourself with that, with our formulas. So that was a really exciting thing to do whenever we were formulating protein. And the other part was the texture and the flavor, which plant-based proteins have, they're a little behind compared to whey proteins. And that's because the, the whey protein industry has been around much longer. They've really refined their their formulas, their manufacturing processes, and it's just a different product. So, it does. Plant-based proteins tend to have a more gritty flavor, more earthy flavor. And I didn't, I didn't want that because as a as a consumer, I wanted to appeal to the non-vegans. I wanted to be a brand that happened to be vegan that was just a solid brand and had solid formulas across the board. Particularly
1: if you're wanting to stick to organic as well and natural it makes it even harder. That must've been
0: very challenging. It does. We had, we spent a lot of time in R and I, I sipped a lot of different protein powders and, and, and iterations of the final formula. And to be honest, I was sick of protein for, for quite some time, but I really felt like we, we did a, as good a job as we could possibly do with our formula without sacrificing any of those key elements that I really wanted to check the box with because and this is something, this is part of an entrepreneurial journey that you don't realize as a consumer is that you can have an ideal product and it looks great on paper, but the translation of that to manufacturing and whether or not it's economical or whether or not you can sell it, there's, there's an intersection there that you, you you'll have to compromise in some way or another, and especially for a new company and you're working with a budget, you have to find out. And you're not ordering as many units yeah. as the big boys. Mm-hmm. So your your sort of cost per unit is going to be a bit higher. Yeah, yeah. And we've, as a company, bootstrapped everything. So this was something that we wanted to take on ourselves and, and start small and scale as the company grew. So it, it, that was an important part for us too because not only did it force us to become more creative with our formulas and our partnerships, but also in business, which was a new domain for me because as an engineer, I worked for a corporation where I was just an employee. I didn't have to worry about all the other facets of business. And it was nice because I could go check in or clock in and then clock out if someone else is doing all the rest and they're taking all the risk and they're putting up all the money. But as an entrepreneur, you leave that nine to five job for a 24 hour a day job. But the difference is, is that this does not feel like a job to me at all. It feels exciting. I wake up every day, very excited to get to work and to work on my business and in the business too, because I'm learning every single day. I'm a student. I listen to audiobooks. I, d- I download as many resources as I can to learn every day, which is a important part of growth in all areas of life. And business is just another solution that's waiting to be solved. there's, There's problems, there's solutions, and you can get creative with it. And it's been a very, very fun journey for me.
1: I want to dig into some of those key learnings. But before we do that, let's finish on your daily yes. supplementation. Okay. So you, you have, usually you'll have one protein shake a day that might just be sort of by itself as a coffee or it might go into your oatmeal, for example, or it could be a smoothie. I've seen you have smoothies before. Um, and then I know you have another four or five supplements in your range, but what is, maybe walk through what they are and also how they kind of fit
0: within your day. Yeah, for sure. So, the other one that I take every day, when I take most, if not all of these every day, is our essential, which is just a multivitamin that contains B12, D3, omega-3, and K2. So, those are very important nutrients that you want to make sure that you get your bases covered as a vegan, or to be honest, just the general population needs to be sure that they're getting enough or adequate levels of those nutrients, because it's it's not a vegan problem anymore. It's a general population problem because of the methodology in which we're consuming food now in the way that it's either raised or grown or manufactured. Mm-hmm. So and a lack of sunlight. Exactly. Exactly. Depending on where you live. So, so the essential every day, and then I'll do creatine, which if you're an athlete, I highly suggest considering supplementing creatine. And if you're a plant-based athlete, you might even benefit more because we don't naturally consume creatine in our diet because that is typically found in in animal proteins. So as a vegan, you're not getting roughly two grams of creatine through your diet. So even if you want to supplement two grams, it can be beneficial, which will help you with your power output. It'll help you with your endurance. And uh, if you're a bodybuilder or weight trainer, any kind of athlete, creatine can definitely help Make significant progress in the gym and in whatever sport you're playing.
1: And it's one of the safest, probably the safest known ergogenic supplement out there. It's been studied for a long, long time. And and I've seen studies where they've even tested the safety profile at like 30 grams a day. So it's uh, it's it's one that you can take with confidence knowing that it's been tested very, very rigorously.
0: Mm-hmm. And and our blend actually has two grams of adaptogenic mushrooms as well. So turkey's tail, chaga, reishi. And these really help with oxygen transport to help delivering more oxygen in those bursts of intense training sessions, which can help your peak power output. It can help with your endurance. So we wanted to blend those two together. And I'm a huge fan of mushrooms and exploring that as well. So I wanted to incorporate that into into one of our products. So the creatine, and then also I'll take a uh, what we call the turmeric, plus which has turmeric ashwagandha and rhodiola rosea these are ayurvedic herbs that have been used for thousands of years that help promote blood flow help decrease cortisol improve mood and also can help with testosterone production so that is just a no brainer for me and it's all natural so it's not synthesized in some in some lab it's it's these are organic natural herbs and that have been around for some time and then i have my pre workout and that's that's pretty much it. So pretty basic supplement protocol. I know that there's a million different types of supplements on the market, but I really wanted to focus on the fundamentals again, the basics that have the most evidence to support their effectiveness and also formulate clean, natural products that are tested, which the more I learn about the supplement industry, the more just horrified I am at some of the practices that... There's been some big cases as well where things
1: have been found in formulas that weren't listed on the label. It's a big issue, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, or even even mislabeling the content of the, let's say, protein, for example. There's such things as nitrogen spiking where you can add amino acids to a formula which would then give you a distorted amount of protein per serving, so th- there's ways around these these formulas that most people that are, aren't in the industry don't know about. So as a consumer, it's important to educate yourself, but also as a, as a manufacturer, it's important to not fall victim to those practices and to be very intentional because it's a, a business can be a vehicle for change. And with everything that I do, it is through the lens of a bigger purpose. Do you feel like
1: there needs to be greater governance? This is probably a hard question for you to answer because you don't want to make your life tougher as a business owner. But like having been in the industry now and seeing uh, the hoops that you have to jump through, do you feel like there's enough regulation for consumers to really feel safe and comfortable when you walk into a Whole Foods or you walk into an Air One or you walk into any grocery store in America and you pick up uh, a supplement, a powder off the shelf? How confident do you feel people can be in in buying that product and getting the product that the label says it is?
0: Yeah, you would hope that it was that easy. But as a consumer, you would have to really dive deep into understanding what brands are ethical or have integrity behind them because it's almost impossible to source back the even the formula sometimes because some of them are proprietary blends that aren't even transparent with the what's in the what's in the blend. You don't even know at times. You don't know where it's sourced from. And there are some basics. You can look for certifications for badges, something like a USDA organic certification. It has to meet some certain some requirements in the handling, in the formula itself. I, I believe 95% of the ingredients of any product that is labeled organic has to come from organic sources. And also the facilities that they're mixed in and blended and packed in those, there are some good practice certifications and badges or GMCP certificate or facilities that have certain standards and those do have quality control, but really it just boils down to education and that can take some time. So we are trying to do all of that work on our end. That way, whenever you release a product, you don't have to concern yourself with whether it's contaminated or where it's sourced from. So it's a lot of work on the back end. And it, and it's not cheap, and it's not the most economical to do things right that way. But we're not in it necessarily for the, the money that is a component of business, but we're really in it to, to, to drive change. I think if I was predicting
1: the next five to 10 years, I think a lot of the companies that do well, it'll come down to transparency. How much transparency are you willing to give the consumers with regards to your ingredients? Where are they from? Insight into what the factory looks like behind the scenes, you know, traceability. Uh, And I'm not sure what's possible there, but I think that's kind of what will separate companies because you know, let's be honest, most companies would be going out to the public and saying our, our
0: formulas are trustworthy, right? Yeah, of course, of <laughs> course. But the reality is that you can buy some powders on Amazon and put a label on it and then sell it. There is no, I mean, that's that's what some people do. So, you know, just, just trust but verify. You can even ask for COAs, so uh, Certificate of Analysis. That shows some of the test results or the potency of the ingredients that mm-hmm. they're using. And if you don't get a reply, then perhaps that's the answer yeah. that you needed.
1: With regards to veg or vegan fitness, which we haven't really spoken about yet, talk to me about some of the challenges that you've gone through. Has there been anything? I mean, we've clearly we've we've had a challenge as a as a whole world uh over the last couple of years with covid and i'm sure that impacted you in, in a number of ways but what's been the most challenging aspect of of starting a new business
0: yeah just starting from the ground up whenever you are starting your journey on creating something like a business it is a baby You know, you have to nurture it in every single way in order to ensure its survival. And that requires much, much more planning than I anticipated. So it it sounds like a great thing to, I'm going to start a company. On the side. On the side (laughs) as a side hustle. And this is one of the reasons why I didn't do it whenever I was engineering was because I knew that it was going to take up my entire free time. And for example, with with vegan fitness, I started that a few months after, or actually launched a few months after I had left my engineering career. And the first four months, five months, and maybe even year before that, we were me and my business partner were conceptualizing what was our intention with this company, what type of impact did we want to have, what were our core values, who are we speaking to, what is our ideal client like? And what do they like? And how do they think? And what do they really value? So if you can really get clear on that, then it makes your life much easier. Because if not, you're just speaking into the ether and you're just hoping to create a problem and then sell a solution. And we didn't want to do that. So lately, one of the things that I've been focusing on is, is how to create community And community is such an important part of of any business and really nurturing the community that you have or building the community that you want to have. And that's been a really fun process because that lends itself to psychology. It lends itself to behavioral changes. It it lends yourself to so much more than just a product. And if you work backwards, backwards from that, then you can really create a, a product or a service that really serves the people that you want to serve. Let's change gears slightly. Okay.
1: You've been uh, uploading quite a few videos, photos, doing sauna and ice. Yeah. <laughs> is, this a, is this a regular practice of yours now? Is it a recovery thing? Is it a mindset thing? Talk me through
0: that. It's a bit of both. It's, it's I'm exploring it. This whole... Biohacking culture and all of these different modalities. It's pretty trendy, the uh, the uh, sauna and ice. It is, it is. Yeah. And I, I I I haven't really looked into the research as much as some other guests probably have on your podcast. But I'm much more of a a skeptic until I try it for myself. And I enjoy the hot cold therapy or the hot cold exposure. So even this past weekend, I I went and did ice bath and sauna. We did four or five rounds of about 10 minutes in the sauna followed by at least a minute in the ice bath. And it's quite an experience to go through that. And the physiological benefits from it, I did feel because that was a day that I trained legs. I also went running cause I'm doing a Spartan race. And that day I was really sore, especially my knees from running. Cause I'm not, we were running on concrete and have the right shoes. And I felt immediately the benefits of the ice bath afterwards. And whether or not it alleviated the soreness or it helped me recover, I don't know. I don't have the metrics to really determine that. I did feel better. So I am a fan of exploring that further and and maybe creating more of a routine out of it. But really what I like is the, the mental fortitude that's required to do those types of things. So even a sauna at close to 200 degrees it, it's a it's a challenge you you got to have some mental resilience to be able was to do that a dry sauna or infrared it, it was or... a it was a dry sauna and then we'd get into the ice bath for a few minutes and that in itself is an entire an entire process where every single cell in your body is screaming at you to get out but if you can learn how to sit with that discomfort and make peace with it then you can come out the other side with this newfound sense of trust in yourself that you are capable of withstanding some pretty challenging environments. And that's what I really like to get out of it because it's a, it's a challenge, but it's more so a mental challenge than anything else.
1: Yeah. I haven't had any
0: guests on that have
1: spoken about the science at all. Okay. And I've, I've looked at it a little bit. I know Huberman has,
0: he's constantly
1: putting out protocols. Yeah. So I I did, I listened to a conversation that he had with a, a researcher, Susanna Soberg. Did you see that? No, I didn't. So she's okay. done some very interesting research and sort of summarized this and I'll do my best to kind of summarize her work and I'll put a link to her work in the show notes. But because uh, I, I have sauna and ice bath at home as well. And so I was very interested in this research to see you know, when looked at in an objective manner, what seems to be the best protocol, Mm -hmm. right? Because I usually just jump in and out and I'm making it up. Um, And a lot of it is, for me, has been more of a mindset thing as well. But I am acutely aware that there is some benefit from a metabolism point of view, particularly the ice. And her work has shown that, of course, when you jump into an ice bath, your body cools down a lot very quickly and it, when you get out, or actually while you're in there, but also when you get out, it activates non-shivering thermogenesis, which is like brown fat thermogenesis. And so you have these brown fat cells that essentially to heat up the body, to, they, they start burning fat, little, little particles of fat within them to heat the body back up and it increases uh, metabolism the metabolic rate and her work looked at what's the what's the sort of optimal protocol from a hot cold therapy to activate that process and she found that about 57 minutes of hot sauna a week and 11 so this is broken down over a week, but you can split it up 57 minutes of sauna and 11 minutes of cold therapy. So you could break that up into sort of four minutes ice bath and uh, what's that, 20 minutes sauna three times a week. And it's going back and forth. So that ice bath could be, you could do four rounds, for example, and you know, one minute rounds or whatever it is. uh, But But I guess in summary, the protocol was 57 minutes a week of sauna and 11 minutes of cold therapy. That's not to say there's no benefits above that, but that seemed to be where you got some really good benefits. And I think one of the other interesting takeaways that I took from that conversation was when you finish, it's best to finish in the cold. To let 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 your body body heat back up. Natural. And you'll actually get a better... Uh, sort of improvement in metabolic rate if you do that
0: mm-hmm. so yeah. I didn't know that but that's what we did
1: <laughs> yeah well there you <laughs> go and that's <laughs> mistakenly that, that has been named the Soberg principle so I'll put that into the the show notes I think it's an interesting yeah so what was it yeah. it was
0: 57 minutes and then
1: yeah so it seven was minutes sauna. 57 minutes of sauna hot sauna a week and then 11 and 11 minutes of ice Okay. so you could kind of Break that down to three, four sessions across a week, or however you wanted. Uh, and as I said, there it wasn't that there was no benefit sort of beyond that. I'm just not sure that was tested. So if you're doing a little more than that, I don't think that's a problem. Although she did talk about staying in in cold
0: water for too long, may not be so great. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's there's also some protocols around when you do it post training, if you're training for hypertrophy. And I don't remember what those were, but there are some considerations or some optimal timing. I
1: saw one study that was super interesting, right? They did resistance training on, uh, I think it was quads. So they were doing like a leg extension. And then straight after the workout, they put one leg into cold water and the other leg into normal temperature water and had them, they fed them actually a sort of high protein meal and they measured muscle protein synthesis, I believe. I don't think they measured actual lean muscle. I think they just looked at the biomarker. But they did show that the cold water therapy straight after significantly reduced muscle protein synthesis. So that kind of s- suggests if your goal is you know outright hypertrophy then you may want to consider timing of this and, and not do your ice therapy straight after a workout. With that said, if you're an endurance athlete or you're an athlete that has a, a game of football every single week and you have sore joints, I think that's a different story because then it's not so much about, uh, about hypertrophy, it's about re- getting you to recover so you can get back up and, and play again or run again, whatever the sport is. Mm-hmm, that makes sense. You were telling me about a book the other night, The the Law of Attraction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got and into I, that. Yeah. And I think that's a, I mean, it's a book that a lot of people are probably familiar with. And I'm spiritual in a sense, but I'm certainly not the most kind of woo-woo spiritual person out there. But I definitely see a great place for it. But I also have a very objective kind of lens on the world. But I really, I enjoyed what you were telling me about that book. And I, I thought there was some great takeaway learning. So I'm, I'm interested in perhaps if you can share, you know, the, the message of that book and, and sort of how that's helped you
0: navigate your life. Yeah, well, I will just want to preface this. I'm no expert in this. This is just through my own study and application that I can definitely do my best to share this, but just wanted to give that preface. Um, the law of attraction is something that I was introduced to a, quite some time ago. I mean, even there's a, there's a movie on it called The Secret, which the ethos of that movie is centered around the law of attraction. And the law of attraction states that which is like unto itself is drawn. So Anything that is of a similar vibration attracts things of a similar vibration. And we live in a vibrational universe. If you take a look at quantum physics, this is what they discuss is that at our most basic level, we are more space and oscillating particles than anything else. We're not solid mass. So we are a combination of our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And we are constantly emitting some type of vibration. I mean, if you we we interpret the world through vibration, through our senses, through light, we have the electric mi- electromagnetic spectrum, some of which we can see. I think only 1% of the electromagnetic spectrum we can see. But as humans, we tend to think that seeing is believing. But there's so much more to this universe than we could even begin to possibly understand. So what I enjoy about the law of attraction, that it's based around positive perspectives in life and how to really try to implement a practice of looking on the bright side of things instead of focusing on the negative. And it starts with our thoughts because our thoughts have an energetic signature attached to them. And everybody that's listening right now can relate. Whenever you get into a negative thought spiral, it only intensifies. And it's very hard sometimes to climb out of a negative feeling. And if you consistently feel bad, then you consistently see the world through the lens of this negative feeling. So if you can learn how to be aware or be more intentional or deliberate with the thoughts that you think you will naturally to ha- naturally start to have a more positive predisposition and then the world around you will start to change and reflect that positive outlook so this is something that I've been practicing for some time and I can just share it through my own personal experience it's worked and I can I can think of an example Uh, Just really quickly, I remember earlier this year, I was in a tough place. I was in a very difficult place because I was going through a breakup and I was doing some soul searching and I was recommended this book about the law of attraction. I believe it was called E Squared and it it was a very practical approach to the law of attraction. So I'm listening to this book as I'm driving and there was an exercise that was basically said, give, give the universe 48 hours to prove to you that the law of attraction is real. And I was like, okay, whatever, what do I have to lose? I'll I'll give this a try. So it said, think of something that you want, get yourself into a good feeling state first and foremost, because that is when you are most potent and you, your attractive force is at its strongest is when you feel good. So I got into a good feeling, emotional state and I got really clear on the thing that I wanted. And I, I made it hard for the universe. I said, all right, I want a new car. <laughs> Prove to me in 48 hours that, you're gonna get a, that I'm gonna get a new car. And I was in, I think I was in Colorado at the time. And I set this intention. I kid you not, the next day, I get a call from a friend who I hadn't spoken to in years. And this person works at a dealership and he hit me up and he goes, Hey, Nimai, I'm not sure if you're into this or if you do this type of thing, but we have a Porsche Taycan that is a a dealership loaner. And we're wondering if you wanted to drive it around for a month and just occasionally post about this this Porsche and some of the features that it has because I like vegan leather. It's and, a pretty
1: and, cool car. And,
0: yeah, it's, it's, it's fully electric. Yeah. It's got vegan leather. It's, a, it's really it's super awesome. Super quick, too. It's a sweet-ass ride. It's a sweet, <laughs> it was like a Batmobile when you're inside. And I was blown away because the next day, within, it was less than 48 hours, is is 24 hours, this guy calls me and I get to drive this hundred and something thousand dollar car for six weeks for free and it just was a simple but practical application of the law of attraction. And I'm sure those that are listening might have their reasons to, um, I don't know, argue that it was circumstance of whatever. Mm-hmm. But either way— It's just I, a massive coincidence. It was a massive coincidence. But I'm, I'm choosing to believe that it was through my own power of manifestation and, and that came to exist. But regardless, it, it's the power of belief— which is a very, very powerful thing. And a belief is simply a thought that is repeated enough time. It doesn't even have to be true, but it becomes your truth. So if you step back for a minute and think about if you were to list out all of your beliefs, how many of those beliefs are disempowering? How many of those are self-deprecating? You know, one of the most powerful statements that we can make is the I am statement. And what follows that is a very, very powerful statement. So just be careful and be deliberate or intentional with the words that you're using and the language that you're using, especially when you're talking about yourself, because it can literally keep you stuck. It can be very limiting or it can be expansive and it can bring you to new levels and new heights and new possibilities that you didn't believe were possible for yourself based off of this limited way of thinking that may or may not have even been yours to begin with. You may have adopted it through, again, you may have inherited it through your parents, through your environment, through your culture. So I just have been really focused on being intentional with my beliefs and the language that I'm using. It can be tough though if you're in a bad place and you feel like a
1: lot of things have, have happened to you in succession and it can be tough to get out of that, that space of negativity and you know self-limiting
0: beliefs. So my advice to anybody that may be experiencing that is to start small, is to look around you in your experience and focus on the things that are going good and that are going well for you instead of focusing on the things that are going bad. And let that be the access point to better feelings. And if you continue to do that, one of the simplest ways to do it is express gratitude because when you express gratitude, it immediately erases any feelings of despair because it allows you to focus your attention on the things that you have access to right now, That are in your life the people that are in your life the relationships the roof over your head it it can be something so simple and grow and expand on that and if you continue to do that and you continue to focus on the things that you do want instead of the things that you don't have or you don't want then those things will naturally start to flow more into your reality so this this holds true for relationships it holds true for things it holds true for careers it's it's almost as though if if say you have a partner right and there's something about the relationship that you don't like if you continue to only point that out to your partner it's not going to improve the situation but if you tend to use positive reinforcement and say hey last night when you paid me that compliment i really appreciated that i really it really made me feel seen and heard and i would really like if you did more of that, instead of approaching it saying, you never compliment me. I do all this for you and you don't ever acknowledge it. Those two have two totally different energetic signatures of how you're approaching somebody. And the response that you get from the first way of, of focusing on the good things that they're doing will only elicit more of that positive, good feeling behavior from that person. Beautifully said. Now, before we
1: round this out, we haven't spoken about vegan fitness yet, and I've been traveling now for three months or so, and you lose a bit of your routine. You know, the my diet hasn't been probably as good. My training's been fairly consistent, but I want to get jacked again. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just want to get back into to better shape, and uh, I'm thinking that I
0: might have to get involved in one of these challenges. Yeah, man, I would love to have you be a participant in one of our 8-week challenges because it's just easy to follow and as someone that's seen many other fitness programs online, we we try to incorporate elements of of, of psychology that will produce the most behavior changes. And when you try to approach anything from this idealistic approach, this perfectionist approach, normally what happens is people tend to fall off pretty rapidly because it can become overwhelming. There's too much information to remember, especially when you're first starting off. So I really liked the philosophy that we've been able to create around our eight-week vegan fitness programs is because we don't preach perfection. We we try to encourage progress. So how's it work? Like if, if when I sign up, what,
1: what am I signing up to? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you're, you're signing up to a comprehensive, immersive program that will introduce habits, that will last beyond the eight weeks. So we're giving you the tools, the resources, the support that will guarantee that you continue to make progress week after week, instead of just giving you a program and saying, good luck, I hope you I hope you succeed. And it's the training side as well as the food side. Yeah, so it's both. So there is, there are some vegan programs out there online, and there, there are vegan coaches, and we, really try to make it as comprehensive as possible, but also as practical and easy to follow as possible. So we have a meal planner that is comprised of very simple meals to follow. These are, they taste like they were made by chefs, but you don't have to be a chef to make these meals. They normally take 10 minutes or less. We, we, teach you how to meal prep, how to cook in bulk so that you spend less time in the kitchen, preparing all your meals, and then more time in, in life, enjoying yourself and enjoying the food that you're eating. Because that's a really important part of any program is if if you enjoy the food or not is a big determinant as to if you're going to keep following that program or keep eating exactly. that food. So yeah. we, we try to make it as enjoyable and less, a little bit less restrictive as well. So what kind of results have you seen? Amazing! It, it, some of the transformations that we've seen in eight weeks have been jaw-dropping. I mean, the average weight loss, which is great, is is anywhere from eight to sixteen pounds. Gosh!
1: Which what? And is this is it for anyone? Like, who who would you recommend is kind of the ideal type
0: of person? Anybody that's looking to transition to a fully plant-based lifestyle or optimize their existing. Plant based lifestyle. So we have both types of clients. Uh, Ironically, maybe not ironically, maybe this just speaks more to the growing interest of people that are interested in plant-based diets, about 50 to 60% of the people that come through our program are not vegan to begin with. Mm, that's correct. So they are trying this for the very first time. And we understand that and know that. So we try to be as supportive as possible in providing the resources, the information, the videos, the explanations, the give them the confidence that they are making a decision that is going to benefit them greatly not just in the next eight weeks, but for the rest of their lives and to add longevity, some long, healthy lives or years to their life. So this is something that we've been doing for years. And, you know, I don't talk about this publicly very often, but we've essentially built an entire platform. My business partner is a software engineer and between him and me, We've built a technology company. We didn't intend on building a technology company, but we continued to want to build a system to where we could coach these clients in a way that was efficient, that can, that kept the touch points that were needed and that were tracking the metrics that were important to produce the most results with the least amount of effort. Cool. All right, well, I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah. And we might need to get a few people. Yeah, it'd be fun. It'd it'd be really fun for you in particular because you're so data driven like I am, to do a DEXA scan at the beginning of this of whenever you if you decided to join us, we'd love to have you. And then do a DEXA scan at the end and see how much either how your body composition Mm -hmm. changes. I will do it throughout that. Hold me to it. Okay. This is my word. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And we can
1: get some people. Maybe, maybe a, a few from this community can can join in as well. Yeah, I would love that. Cool, man. Well, as I said, great to hang out again. Always always looking forward to coming back and seeing you in LA. So it's been fun and appreciate you coming on and and sharing again. Really cool to get an update and uh, you're doing a lot of wonderful things. So I'm super happy for you, firstly, and really looking forward to seeing how everything grows from here for you.
0: Yeah, likewise, man. I remember when I first stumbled upon you a couple of years back, and it's just so cool to have become friends with you and to continue our friendship year after year. Even if we see each other every now and then sporadically throughout the year, it seems like we pick up right where we left exactly. off. And, but both of us come with having accomplished more with new goals that are even loftier than before. So yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure to witness your evolution and your expansion as well. Very cool. Let's do it again, man. Let's do it. Let's
1: do it. There we go. As I said, no real structure to that, but I hope you found it interesting nonetheless. If you are wanting more information on developing a training protocol for hypertrophy, I have linked Dr. Mike Isratel's recommendations in the show notes, which is based on the volume principles that Nimai spoke about for each body part. This is the link which goes through the number of sets for different muscle groups, abs, calves, chest, back, etc. It covers the minimum effective volume, the minimum sets that you need to perform per muscle group to make gains, and the maximum adaptive volume, the weekly sets per muscle group where you will make your best gains. It's a nice simple protocol based on science, something that I would encourage people to learn and implement before focusing on things like supplements, which really are the cherry on top when it comes to promoting hypertrophy and building strength. I've also popped a link into the show notes to Nemi's plant-powered challenge, which kickstarts January 10th. If you are looking to kickstart 2022 by getting into shape, then I strongly recommend taking a look at Nemi's eight-week meal plan and training program. The results that his community members get are truly incredible. Importantly, if this is something that you want to take part in, you need to sign up for this challenge by January 9th. I think that's a good place to bring this one to a close. Thanks for tuning in, I appreciate you and look forward to hopefully bringing you more interesting conversations in the year to come. Happy new year, may it be the best year ever, full of lots of fun, happiness, and of course, health. I'll catch you back here in a few days time. Deal? I hope so. Until then, remember, more plants my friends, more plants.